after the praise team did their sound check and going over the songs this morning, Cody asked me, what are you preaching on this morning? And I said, depression. And the whole place went, wow. Like everybody here was like, mm, that's going to be tough. In fact, Job chapter 3, if kept out of the context of the entire book, you might could say is the most depressing chapter in the entire Bible. It's the lowest point of Job's life. And you hear Job speak. Now up to this point, Job has maintained his integrity and he has not cursed God. In all of the things that have happened. Now, he's not cursed God, but that doesn't mean he doesn't do some cursing. And Job chapter 3 is the sorrow of a man's heart who's just lost everything. And we're, we're going to read the entire chapter this morning. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just kind of stretch out just a little bit. Because um, you're going to need it for a minute. While we're standing. So go ahead and stand up and let's stretch for just a minute. Hey, did we get uh, chapter 3 uploaded? No, it's not there. You're right. Can you, can you plug that in real quick? Alright, so as you're finding Job chapter 3, just let's do this. Let's just, everybody just kind of reach up and stretch for a second. Did you wear your deodorant this morning? Okay. Come back down just a little bit. Don't hit your head on the pew. Just bring it down. Okay. All right, Job chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed what? He didn't curse God. Cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those who curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for night, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning. Because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. From my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me, or why, why the breast that I should have nursed? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept, and I would have been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest 
There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the greater there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than hidden treasure, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me, and I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Father, we come to this passage and our hearts have turned heavy within us as we hear these words. The words of a man who is aching and writhing and suffering. And for him there seems to be no escape. Lord, as we hear these words, we want to run to Job and comfort him. But Lord, we know that's exactly what you do whenever we are in our deepest, darkest moments. Whenever we feel like Job, when we're filled with questions like why and how and, and we can't understand. But Lord, in those moments, help us to understand that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you love us. Help us to remember all the things that you've done for us and help us to look up to you and to see your light shining upon us. And Lord, if there's one in our lives that are suffering the way Job has suffered, they're in their darkest hour, Lord, help us to be comforting words to them. Give us grace now to understand your word, and Lord, to apply what we understand to our lives, that we might be faithful unto you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Believers are not immune to depression. Believing people can suffer depression just like anyone else. Job's depression in chapter 3 represents a period of time in his life where Job enters into deep questioning. And those questions... For the most part, unfortunately, not to spoil the end of the book, they pretty much go unanswered. Now, that does not mean that the questions will never be answered. Because I believe that the Lord's going to reveal why we go through the things that we go through. Why we suffer as we do. But in the book, the Lord doesn't answer all of the questions that Job has. Not only does Job ask questions, Job does some cursing. He curses the day of his birth. And he curses the, the fact that he wasn't stillborn, or the fact that he ever saw the light of day. And so what we see is a man, for a moment at least, who is filled with sorrow. 
But we believe what the scripture says that, that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we have to remember that this is a moment in his life and this is not the end of his life. But you know, depression affects people from all walks of life. Men and women, all different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, all different ethnicities go through this. Did you know that some of History's greatest thinkers and artists suffered from depression. Former United States President Abraham Lincoln and Theodore Roosevelt both suffered with depression. Famous American authors Mark Twain and Edgar Allan Poe suffered from depression. World-renowned composer Beethoven and Schumann both endured debilitating depression. There's two different types of depression. There's circumstantial or what they call situational, which comes when difficulty or tragedy occur in a person's life and they go through that period, that rough patch for a time and they've lost hope during that time. And then there's clinical depression, which is caused by a chemical imbalance. There's many types of that. But the point is, there's depression all around us, and people deal with it. People suffer with it. Maybe even someone who's nearby you in this room is going through it right now. The Shama report, Samsa report, I'll try to get that right, printed out uh, a copy of this, an estimated uh, 21 million adults in the United States had at least one major depressive episode in a year, which represents 8.3% of the population of all U.S. adults. And then when you look at the numbers a little bit more, you see that the prevalence of adults with major depressive episodes was highest among individuals 18 to 25 at 18.6%. That's nearly one in five young adults that you meet suffer from severe depression. I could go through all of those numbers and I'm not going to bore you with that because this isn't a, this isn't a uh, seminar on depression. But I want to give you just one more little thought here. When you think about suicides, because many people who enter into those dark times of depression wind up taking their own lives. In 2021, 48, and this is the latest numbers that they have, 48,187 people died by suicide in the United States. 12.3, seriously thought about it, 3.5 made a plan, and 1. million attempted suicide. But did you know that suicide is the third leading cause of death for 15 to 24-year-olds and the sixth leading cause of death for 5 to 14-year-olds? And what they're telling us, and this is what psychologists tell us, is that since COVID, these numbers have truly spiked. That COVID is really, and I guess probably all of the quarantining and School at home and all of those things have really caused a spike in that. 
Now, are you feeling pretty depressed now? <laughs> After hearing those numbers? It, it's, it's sobering to think about, but it's something that we have to deal with because the Bible deals with this. And if we're going to be faithful witnesses of God's Word and we're going to proclaim what God has to say, God deals with our depression. God deals with it better than anybody could. He is the great physician, and that includes mental illness as well. Okay? And you and I, listen, if we're just oblivious to the reality, then we will be ill-equipped whenever it hits us or someone we love. Here's a couple of biblical examples. Elijah in 1 Kings 19, he said, I alone am left. He, was, he had slumped down. He'd been running from Jezebel. He slumped down and he sat down and he said, I'm the only one. Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations literally means mornings or mourning. And that's what that is. It's just crying out to God. Jonah in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah said, I am driven away from your sight. Where was Jonah? In a fish. He was being digested. Uh, David, Psalm 22, verse 1. Why have you forsaken me? This is what David... Now, David wrote many of the Psalms, which were laments that were, that were crying out to God. And David bore his heart to the Lord. Well, many times he, he, when he wrote, he said, God, I, I feel alone. Why have you left me? When are you going to help me? And then Jesus on the cross said, why have you forsaken me? And you say, well, you, are you saying Jesus suffered from depression? And what I would tell you is, during those three hours that Jesus was on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. And in that moment, He suffered every emotional feeling that any person on this planet's ever suffered. He suffered it all. And He took the guilt of all of it as well. The guilt of all the sin. In that moment, was Jesus depressed in that moment? You better believe he was. Jesus suffered worse than any of us could ever imagine in those moments. Job's friends have done a good job up to this point. We saw last week how those friends, they came to aid him and they proved themselves to be true friends. But in the following chapters, after Job has offered up his cry and he's, all, he's cursed the day of his birth and he's saying, no help is coming for me. After Job has opened up his mouth, he's finally said something. Now the friends think, okay, now it's time for us to say some things. And, and we're going to study some of the things they say go, going forward. But... Most of what they said was wrong. Most of what they offered didn't comfort Job. So here's what, we, here's what we're, our task is for the remainder of the sermon this morning. We're going to say to Job what we should say to a person who's in Job's place. Okay? For a friend that's suffering, or maybe for you or me, if we're, if we're in times of the, that depression, the time... We're, we're at our lowest low. We're at the bottom of the pit. Just like David said, I'm in the, in the pit. When we feel that way, we need to remember these things. Okay? I'm going to give you three things this morning. Number one, your hurt is not hidden from a seeing God. Our God sees 
everything that we go through. Now, Job wants, this is what Job wants for his birthday, and not the birthday he's about to have, but the birth, his original birthday. Job wants people to forget it. That's the way I feel about my next birthday. Like, you can just forget it, okay? I know people have black balloons and all that stuff. You can just forget about my birthday. But he wants to go back to his first birthday, and he wants it to just be wiped out, for it to just fall off the calendar. Notice what he says again. He says, um, let gloom and deep darkness claim it, let clouds dwell upon it, let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let no rejoicing among the days of the year. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. He said, I I just wish that we could just get to that day of the year and the calendar just skip right over it. And it not exist. He says he wants it to become a curse word for people who curse and people who are ready to rise up Leviathan, the people that, that, that wrestle dragons. And I think, well, who's he talking about? And then I realized, oh, he was talking about swamp people. People who are ready to rise up Leviathan. Now, I got to think about, what is Job talking about? He's, well, those people, those people were full of cursing. I mean, can you imagine watching a Swamp People episode and they're bleeping, bleep, 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 and man, the day of Job's birth, just using it like a curse word. And that's what Job's saying. Job's language is littered with references to darkness and hiding. He wants the day of his birth to be completely blotted out. And he knows, and this is what he's thinking, he knows that whatever exists, the Lord sees it. Amen? We believe that. Our God is omniscient. He can see everything. He knows everything that we go through. He even knows the hidden things in our hearts. So if God can see the day of Job's birth, that means Job exists. And Job says, curse that day, because I don't even want to exist anymore. I don't want God to see me. I don't want you to see me. I don't want anybody else to see me. I know a woman who was, who was circumstantially depressed. And she got into her house. And she closed all of the curtains. and Drew the shades and everything. Closed all the curtains. Cut all the lights off. And curled in the corner and sat there. And I believe if it weren't for the church going and rescuing her. She probably would have died there. But that's what she did. And you know people that feel like that. Just hide me from everything. I don't want anyone to see me. I don't want anyone to know what's going on with me. I want nothing to do with anybody else. And and I don't even want God to see me. But what Job needed to hear was your hurt is not hidden from a a seeing God. He knows exactly what's going on. I've observed Allison with the kids, with our children. When one of them gets a cut or a scrape, you, you're a mom, you're, you know what this is like. And, and they announce their pain, and, and then Allison will bring them close, and one of our children, whichever child it is, just wrap up their wounded finger so tightly and turn away. And Allison will say, hey, let me see it. No. My wife, if you've never met her, 
She's very kind and patient, but she gets what she asks for. You're going to let me see that finger now. And, and once they're convinced to reveal their hurt, they receive the healing remedy that they need. Hidden hurt will never be healed. But praise be to God, He sees our hurt, all of it. He sees everything that we're facing and He knows Genesis 16, verses 7 through 14, talks about uh, this particular servant of Sarah named Hagar, who had been truly hurt. And she had ran away and found a spring in the wilderness, and she sat down beside it. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on her way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. And his hand against everyone and everyone else's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And so when she heard that, she said, so she called, it says, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Laharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Berea. Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And no matter where you are, no matter where you go, God will always see you and love you. He sees you right here and right now, whatever you're facing. And so Job needed to hear those words, and maybe you need to hear those words, and maybe you need to be equipped with those words. That your hurt is not hidden from a seeing God. But secondly, your cry is... It has been heard by a sovereign God, the God who is still on the throne. And if you continue on, you listen to everything that, that Job uh, is saying, it goes from cursing into questioning. And the big question, the biggest three-letter question in the Bible is why? Why is this happening, God? Why are you allowing all these things to happen to me? And, and he, he says it many times about... About eight or ten times he says, why? He says in verse 20, why is light given to him who is in misery? He's saying, Look, why, God, why am I going through all of this? Job knows that it's wrong for him to take his own life. He knows that's wrong. But he's crying out to God saying, God, just let me die. Why am I having to suffer this way? And he says, and why is life given to the bitter soul, bitter in soul? Who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than hidden treasures. Job just wishes that he's dead. And he can't understand why God would allow that to happen to him. He says, why was I born? Why is there suffering? And why wouldn't God just kill me too? You know, you can imagine, he probably suffers from 
what they call survivor's guilt. He's just lost all of his children. Why did God leave me? We may never know why we suffer the way that we do. But we can trust that God has a sovereign plan. What I want you to understand here from all of these questions, why, 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 that Job really never hears all of the answers to this side of eternity, is that God heard every single one of those questions. And our God is a big God, and He's able to handle the difficult questions of life. He's able to handle your your hardest questions. The the problem is when we take those questions and we walk away from God rather rather than toward God. Notice that's the difference between the disciples who trusted the Lord and the disciple that went away from the Lord. Were they doubters? Yeah. The Bible says they worshiped, but some doubted. Did they have plenty of questions? Yes, they did. Mary had questions of God. You remember whenever the angel came to her and said, the angel Gabriel came and said, you will have a son? And she'll call his name Emmanuel? She said, how's this going to happen? Since I'm a virgin. And that question that went before the Lord received this response. With God, all things are possible. So the, the, the why question is always answered by the sovereignty of God. The how question is always answered by the sovereignty of God. That God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we ever ask, hope, think, or imagine. Now you think about this. I think about this story. Whenever Abraham, God has given Abraham his one and only son, and then God says, take him up the mountain. And sacrifice him. Can you imagine the W-H-Y that's written right over the top of Abraham's forehead as he walked up Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son? But the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham trusted him he could not see and knew that he was able To even raise his son from the dead. So how was that question answered for Abraham? It was answered by the sovereignty of God. The God that is in control of the entire universe. For you and I, we don't have to know why. We just know the God who does have a reason and has a purpose. That's how we answer that question. When our difficulty causes us to search and seep and grope, we need to reach out to a God that hears and cry out to Him. Listen, if you're ever in a situation with someone who's crying out why, don't try to answer that question by your own reason. Don't ever do that. If you try to explain why a person lost someone that they love, you're going to do more damage than good. If you're, going to, if you're going to offer anything to them, what you need to offer to them is that you can cry out to God right now because He hears you and He's in control. 
That's the answer. That's the, the big why of everything, isn't it? God has a wonderful purpose for everything. And though we don't understand it, but this is part of His plan. And we can trust Him. So Job's questions of why may not be answered, but he's crying out to a sovereign God, and that God hears him. And here's the thing, toward the end of the book, that God is going to answer Job, and we're going to see that. And it's going to be a a wonderful, wonderful day. So it's getting dark, it's pretty dark right now, but folks, the light's coming. Yesterday, uh, I I had planned to get up early, and I looked at my phone yesterday, and I said, when's the sun going to come up tomorrow? And it was like 6.47, I think is what it was, was sunrise. And I said, okay, 6.47 sunrise. And I made it a point yesterday to be up and watching. Had some, had some fishing I was going to do with the boys anyway. But I was up. And at 6.47, guess what happened? The sun came up. And I thought, Wow, it's amazing that they could predict exactly the moment that sun is peeking over the horizon. But you know, that, that illustration, it does not speak to the genius of man to predict the sunrise. Because all you have to do is observe it. Year after year, seasons change, but the sun comes up at the same time every year. On that particular day. Right? So what does it speak to? It speaks to the sovereignty of God who has a plan. And nothing is going to change that plan. You can't stop the sun from coming up. Neither can I. And that's a a beautiful thing to remind us. Of how even though it's dark. And Job's in the middle of the night. The sun is coming. The sun is coming. And so lastly, what we would tell a person that's seated where Job is seated is your help is coming from a saving God. Your help is coming from a saving God. In the last couple verses, Job believes that his life will forevermore consist of this great suffering which he is enduring. Like, this is my life. This is where I'm going to be forever. He says in verse 24, My sighing comes instead of my bread. Notice that word comes. What's coming to Job? My sighing. And he says, My groanings are poured out like water. What's coming? My groanings. And then he says in verse 25, For the thing that I fear comes. So what's coming? Everything that Job fears. His his worst fears are realized, and this is the way it's going to be for the rest of his life. And what I dread befalls me. Then he goes on to say in verse 26, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Indeed, life is short and full of trouble. But Job needed to know something that every person who's dealing with depression, they need to know, is that help is on the way. Help is coming. Help is coming from the presence of of the Lord, the one who sees, the one who hears, and the one, and the one who enters into 
that situation and brings the hope of healing. Oftentimes we think this is how it will always be. But sorrow lasts for the night and joy comes in the morning. Dark, deep depression for Job only lasted for a little while. You know, this, this chapter, it really ends on a, on a very low note for Job. It just ends right here. And then you hear the friends come in in chapter 4, and they think they're coming to the rescue. But what they forget to do is, is just acknowledge who God is in Job's situation. And just say, you know, God is on the throne and He loves us. They forget to do that. But, but this is what Job comes to. In Job chapter 13. So uh, this is almost like a, a continuation of Job's thoughts. When you get later on in the book into chapter 13. And this is probably the high point of the book. The greatest, the greatest point of faith in Job that you see in Job chapter 13 verse 15. And he says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. You hear that? And what he's saying is, even, even if he takes my life, I, I, he's... He's taking everything else away. I have nothing left. My, my family is gone. My friends are gone. All my possessions are gone. My health is gone. But then Job says, the one thing I have left is my life. But even if God takes my life, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I know that he's the only answer. I know he's my help. I know he's my hope. I, I have nowhere else to go but him. David dealt with some of these same things. And he said in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. No pill, no substance, no earthly treatment, no counseling. Nothing can substitute for the ministry of a sovereign God in our lives. Romans 16, 20 says, The God of peace, I love this, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. When I read that, I have a mental picture. I have a mental picture of Job in his triumph, standing on top of the devil. And the Lord saying, the victory is yours, Job. The victory is yours, Job. And can you see that with me? Can you see that? Now, I get it. I had this conversation this past week with one of our members. I, that word, soon. It's so subjective. And it's like, when, God? When will that happen? And God says, soon. Soon. Sooner than you think. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Did you hear that? Under your feet, you're going to stand one day on top of the devil. And all the things that he incited the Lord to do against you. In that moment, you'll have the victory. And then you'll understand why. 
And that's going to happen soon and very soon. And what I want you to understand, if you've read the end of the book and you know how God restores Job, Job's hope is not fulfilled in the end of the book of Job. You get that? I want you to understand that. It's not in the restoration of all of his goods and all of his family and all of those things. Because once again, all of those things can be taken away. Job, the fulfillment of Job's hope is, is in Jesus Christ. The one that, though he slay me, he said, I will hope in him. He's speaking of the Lord who can resurrect his soul and bring him up and, and, and give him new life. He's speaking of that person. And that person is the only one who can help Job. That person is the only one who can make it all right. Job's problem is the same as ours. We live lives that are difficult. We suffer. And then we die. And there's only one cure. There's only one true remedy. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. I told you that the book is going to get dark. I told you that it's going to get difficult for Job. And today's message is probably not the message that you expected to hear. It's probably not a message that you want to go run around, put on Facebook. Oh, wow, pastor's message was great. But what I want to tell you this morning is, it's very real for a lot of people. But if you can remember that all of your hurt is, is seen by seeing God. And all of your cries that you offer up are heard by a sovereign God. And that your help is coming. Your help is coming. From the God who saves. If you can remember that. Then in those moments when you're walking through that valley. And you're at your lowest point of your life. It will help you to look up. And see him. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. The hope that we have is not that the world will be a comfortable place and that our lives will be filled with health, wealth, and prosperity. If you're hoping in those things this morning, your hope is not seated in Christ not seated where it should be. But if your hope is seated in Him, He does not disappoint. He will do exactly what He said and one day He's going to come and rescue all of those who've ever trusted in Him out of a world of trouble. He's going to rescue you from this place if you put your faith and trust in Him. You see, he lived a sinless life. The Lord Jesus died on the cross. And then he was buried. And then on the third day, he was raised again. And now he is seated on the throne. And one day, he will return in glory. And he will receive all of us who've ever put our 
faith and our trust in Him. And we will have victory over this life. And we will have victory over our enemy. But if you've never trusted in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, right there with your head bowed and your eyes closed, the difference could be made in your life today for eternity. Really all you have to do is say a prayer and mean it with all your heart to the Lord. And the prayer is trusting in Christ. It's just putting your life in His hands. And if you want to do that, just say this simple prayer with me in your heart, or one like it. Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've done things I know are wrong, and I've failed to do the things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you died in my place on the cross and you took my sin and my shame and you bore it on the cross for me. Jesus, I believe that you were raised again according to your word and the scriptures to prove that you are Lord. I believe that you're on the throne now in heaven. And you're sovereign over everything. So I come to you now and I confess and I ask for forgiveness and I ask you to make me a new person. Save me, a sinner. Now if you've prayed that prayer, just say this. Say, thank you for my salvation. And I'll spend the rest of my life loving and serving you as my Lord and my Savior. And it's in your name I pray, dear Jesus. Amen. I want you to stand with me. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that with all your heart, we're about to have an invitation. And this is your opportunity to share what Jesus has done for you, how he's saved you, how he's made you a new person, how he's given you hope for living. You come and you share. That's a decision that's not meant to be kept secret. It's meant to be shared out loud. And so you come and make your public profession this morning during our invitation. If you're looking for a church family, Myrtle Grove Baptist Church loves you. We welcome you. We want you to join and be a part of what God is doing here. He's doing some amazing things. And we welcome you here. This is your invitation as well. And if you just need prayer, you come. And we'll lift you up in prayer. Our altar counselors are coming. Let's sing. We